There are a number of good summaries of the Christian faith that are out there, most of them from several hundred years ago. Uh, But in all of them, and any of those that are worth reading anyway, they all affirm that God is in control of the world that he has made. I'm going to give you one example. This is from the Second London Confession, from the pen of Old Baptists about 350 years ago. They wrote, God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and things from the greatest to the least by his perfectly wise and holy providence to the purpose for which they were created. We're told that God created everything, all things, and then he also then upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all things. God did not make the world and then just step aside and just leave things to go as they will. No, God is intimately involved in the world that he has made. And Christians affirm that, that God is engaged and in control. But when you click on your news feed on any particular day, is that what you are thinking? Is that what's on your mind as you read your news, watch your news, and hear what all is going on in our culture? Does it look like God is in control of our world. Have you wondered from time to time, especially in the last couple, three years, where is God in all of this? What's he doing? In the middle of the recent pandemic, is that where your mind went? Or did it only occur to you that This disease that was out there was just a great accident that human beings now need to go about staving off or conquering. And you're thinking, was there any place for the truth that God upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all things? And if you did think in those categories, what do you think God might have been doing with a worldwide disease? Was he involved in any way? Right now, I think everybody in this room would probably admit that we are facing an uncertain economy. Gas is what right now? $5 a gallon. It's double what it was a year and a half ago. It's a pretty drastic increase, would you not say? The cost of regular goods like groceries, we're told are up about 10%, but I tell you, it feels a lot more than that. The cost of a home has skyrocketed, and that's before the interest rates went up. Stock prices are toppling, aren't they, Don? Things are uncertain. Store shelves are emptier. And have you ever in your life talked about supply chains before? Has that ever been a part of your dialogue with normal people in years past? Have you talked about supply chains? 
me neither. But now we talk about them. Those supply chains just always seem to function okay in the past, but not now. And so there is not much good that we see happening right there, out there right now in our economy, regardless of what our leaders say. And so when you look out at all of that, and you feel the impact of all of that, is there any place in your mind for the God who upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all things? Or with your Western 21st century eyes, do you look out on the landscape of everything that is happening and just see it from a humanistic perspective? What about the moral and social climate of the day? What do you see when you look out there on that? Specifically, I'm talking about the activity of human beings, the things that we do amongst ourselves, our actions, our thoughts, our attitudes, mass shootings that hit home in early May here when 10 people were killed and three others were injured at the tops on Jefferson Street. I went and looked at some of the statistics that are out there and since the beginning of June I read that there have been 109 mass shootings in our country just in the last two months. And what qualifies for that is that four people would be injured in a shooting. 109. And we hear only about a few of these here and there, a smattering of those on the news, but murder is happening every day across this nation. And did you think 20 years ago that sexuality and all that it entails would be the primary cultural concern that is taking place right now? Would you have ever anticipated what you see out there on commercials, news feeds, TV shows, like we do today? A nominee for the Supreme Court was not willing to give the definition of a woman. And don't you know that that is a responsibility that requires the knowledge of all sorts of definitions. Much more complicated, in fact, than what a woman is. But because there is so much confusion, so much pressure being applied, the threat of being canceled out there in the culture, the threat of being called names that public figures think they could never recover from, it's easier and more acceptable to say that you don't know what constitutes a woman. Truth is up to the individual. Our culture has abandoned the idea that truth is something that is outside of ourselves, that it's something that each person makes for their own selves. Your truth, my truth. They can conflict with one another and everybody's okay with that. So as long as you're happy with your truth and you're happy that I have mine, we can all live kumbaya. That's not truth. That's feelings. So men now claim to be women 
like the one who swam against real women for an NCAA championship, and he won. Surprise. Personal pronouns have become an item of debate. Not just he's and she's, but they's and them's. Confusion abounds. The rainbow, the sign of God's commitment to the preservation of mankind, has been co-opted. And so is the month of June and store displays, and on and on. And what was once supposed to be about equal protection under the law for gay people has become a runaway train for the normalization for any kind, any kind of sexual behavior. Where will it end? Would you like to guess? One last example. Abortion. Just on Friday, the Supreme Court, after 49 years, reversed Roe versus Wade, ending federal protection for abortion, sending the decision for certain laws to go back to the states. And for that, we are thankful. And we praise God for that, do we not? And we have to believe that many lives will be saved in some states, but not New York. New York has already passed laws that protect just about any kind of abortion for any reason at any time during the pregnancy. A state where 25 to 27 percent, I read this week, of pregnancies are terminated. And that is called reproductive health in the Empire State and not murder. And all of this that I have mentioned just scratches the surface on what's happening in our cultural climate. And I understand that in the setting that we're in right now, sitting in a conservative Bible teaching church on a Sunday morning, that most of the people here are going to think the same way about most things. My aim is not to preach to the choir. I'm not looking to just rally the troops against the culture. I think you should be able to go into just about any church and just do that. My aim is to help you think biblically about what you're seeing, to help you guard yourself when the temptation comes to not only see these things from a humanistic or Western perspective, but to encourage you, encourage you this morning that God is not absent from all of this, and to lead you back to your most basic human function. Because there are plenty of thousands, we might even say millions of people across our country who think about social issues in the same way that you do. But they have no concern at all for the worship and praise of God. And what I want you to see from the text that I'm about to read is that worshiping Him, putting Him first, treasuring Him, is the most fundamental, the most basic of all human activities. And when the worship of God disappears, when it leaves a people, when God is set aside, there is judgment that comes in the world that He governs. He brings it. And we are witnesses to the consequences of that in the public sphere. So read with me, please, Romans chapter 1, 
verses 18 to 32, where the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God has given them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Oh God, have mercy. Have mercy on us as we see your word. Have mercy on sinners as they look to Christ. Please, God, correct us where we have been infiltrated, where we have given ourselves over to the things and the thoughts and the attitudes of the world, where we've made room in our lives for these things, where we are not separate, we are not different, we are not salt, we are not light. We simply go along with the stream and the flow of things in this world and we're being swept away. Oh God, have mercy. Open up our eyes to the truth. May we not be suppressors of the truth. And may God, you look out on the community around us who right now are indulging themselves in evil. Look out on them. Show them the goodness of Jesus Christ. Show them your love and your mercy, and may they turn to you. May this become a serious thing in their minds, because judgment is coming, 
and judgment is now already here. God, please, do what you will in us this morning. Amen. Just two sections here in this scripture passage. Verses 18 to 25, I want you to see that the problem in our culture right now is a failure to worship God. Simple truth. It's just a failure to worship and acknowledge and give thanks to Him. Ten or twelve years ago, I was sitting in a class learning from a man who had written a lengthy commentary on the book of Romans and we got to this particular passage and I asked the question, when specifically did this happen? What Paul is describing here in this text. What people, what culture, what place in history does he have in mind when he wrote this? Was he thinking about Adam and the fall? Was he thinking about Israel? What men didn't know God and honor Him? What men suppressed the truth? What men exchanged the glory of God? Who are those people who are without excuse? What is Paul thinking of here when he writes this? And I don't remember his exact answer, but the idea is, is that there was not a particular people not a specific people in the place of history that Paul seems to have in mind. He's addressing the general state of all mankind who have always lived in this world after the fall. This is just what sinful man does. This statement was true about the civilizations that started from Adam and Eve. This statement was true about ancient Mesopotamia and Egypt. It was true of the Greek world that dominated just before the time of Christ. It was true about the Roman Empire when Paul wrote these specific words. And it is true about modern America. Sinful humanity is prone to idolatry. It's the bent, the delight, it's the love of sin to reject the God who made you and worship something else, something else, anything else, anything can be made an idol. Anything can have your heart and direct your steps. This is the folly of mankind. And it is the explanation for everything that we are seeing in our chaotic world. This is what Paul, the messenger of God, describes in these first eight verses. He says that men, because they are unrighteous, he takes that for granted. Men are unrighteous, they are sinful, and because that is the case, they suppress the truth. What is suppression? What is suppression? It means to forcibly prevent something from happening. Here we're told that men forcibly prevent the truth from coming out out of themselves and they actively try to prevent the truth from coming out of others in the culture. And the apostle is telling us that the truth of the matter is this, that there is a knowledge of God in the world. It is plain it's plain out there. You should be able to perceive that there is a God who has made it all. 
That should be obvious to anyone. Anybody that looks out of his window at the order and the beauty that exists in nature, he should be able to understand that someone, someone did that. That all of what we look out there and see is no accident. The sunset that I saw last night was made to look like that. I thought it was beautiful because God made me to enjoy the beauty that He has made. God has made me to see that He is the creator of that beauty and to give Him praise for it. The world that He has given us to live in, it provides for us. Stop to think about that. That our bodies are able to process the foods that we eat out of the ground. That's crazy. But it happens. We enjoy the relationships that He has blessed us with. The wonders and the gifts of this world never cease. And our natural God-created reaction to all of that should be, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for all the gifts that we experience in this world. This is the fundamental purpose for why we have been made, to worship Him, to acknowledge Him, to love Him. And if the Buffalo News made that their headline tomorrow morning in their newspaper, if they wrote something to the effect, God is out there, He is supreme, and you have been made to worship Him alone, there would be outrage. Men do not want to believe that. They don't want to believe that they've been created to honor and serve the God of the Bible because they are suppressors of the truth. Jesus Christ came to restore us to that purpose. And Christians should naturally think that way. We should naturally think that way. We should naturally live that way. We should naturally speak that way. But we still struggle with this too. Paul says that man has suppressed the truth, that this is God's world and that he deserves to be honored. Instead, men forcibly prevent the truth from being known. He says they became futile, worthless in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So why isn't God's name, if you read the newspaper, if anybody hardly does that anymore, why isn't his name in the Buffalo News? Do you ever see God's name in the Buffalo News? Do you ever hear God's name mentioned on your favorite TV program at night? When all these talking heads are speaking your language politically. But are they leading you to worship God? Why in all of the last few days in the discussion about abortion is there no mention made about the authority of God? Where is He? And all the dialogue. Politicians who claim to have knowledge of Him, they demonstrate that they do not know Him because they do not seek to honor Him. That is not their purpose. 
they suppress the truth. Their minds are darkened to what is plain. We're told here that no man who walks on the face of the earth can claim ignorance to the truth that there is a God and that He is powerful. His eternal power and divine nature, we're told, have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world. But yet, what does man do? He claims ignorance of this. So the underlying problem to all that we see in our chaotic culture is the rejection of the truth about God for a lie. The exchanging of His worship for some form of idolatry. And so you may never see a man bow down to a statue. Has anybody here ever seen that? Anybody ever seen a man bow down to a statue? No. No statue of Jesus either. I'm, I'm talking about any statue. I actually have. I've gone to a Hindu temple before and walked inside and seen all of these people bowing down, these little statues that were up on the stage with water and food in front of them. They were feeding their gods because their gods cannot feed themselves. What kind of God is that? God says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you because He's God. He needs nothing from us. And yet He demands our worship. He demands our praise. And yet the culture worships everything else it seems other than Him. So you might not ever see anybody bow down to a statue, but everyone out there worships something. You're all worshipers. Human beings like to think of themselves as being autonomous and we don't need anything but ourselves. Well, even in that is worship. Self is worship. Everybody out here in this neighborhood, right outside of our walls, everybody in your neighborhood where you live is worshiping something right now. They may not know it, but they worship something that they love, something that they trust in, something that they obey. Something's leading their hearts to do and be what they are. Might be an ideology, might be another person's love, a persona that they like to have, what people think of you, money, beauty, what you own, your possessions, or it may be God. Everybody's worshiping something. Something holds the reins of your heart. Something is steering you in the way that you live. It was always meant to be God Himself. But what do we do naturally as human beings? We exchange the truth about God for a lie and we worship something else. Something else controls us and leads us. So there is no one on the face of the earth that should be able to claim that this does not apply to them. But because God has been exchanged for a lie, the world is filled with broken hearts, broken attitudes, broken purposes. Brokenness is everywhere because this most basic thing, fundamental thing to your existence, our existence as human beings is not happening. God is not worshipped. 
Our world has rejected the God who has made them and loves them and has chosen to prostitute itself out to unnatural loves. And the God who upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all things is not sitting idly by. He's not twiddling his thumbs up there saying, man, I wonder when they're going to come back to me. He must take action. So Paul tells us, When man abandons the worship of God, they receive the judgment of God. When man abandons the worship of God, they are going to receive his judgment. And much of God's judgment awaits a future day when every man will give an answer for his life. Every person in this room right now, I don't care if you are 5 years old or 85 years old or 95 years old. Every person in this room will one day stand before the Lord. You ever stop to think on that? Every person. That will be a sobering moment, will it not? It's worth thinking on. Much of God's judgment, much of God's judgment awaits a future day when every man will answer for his life, his own sin, and his wrath is being stored up for a time in the future, and that day will be a terror. It will be a terror on those who gleefully go about suppressing the truth. It will be no laughing matter. But what this text makes plain is that God's wrath is currently being poured out from heaven in the world that we live in. It's being experienced right now on a particular level. And that's the substance of what we see in verses 24 to 42. Three times we're told this. This should make us shudder. Three times we're told that because man has given up the worship of God, that God has given him up to his sin. Verse 24, look with me. He says, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Gave them up. Because man has exchanged the worship of God for the worship of an idol, God gave mankind up to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. He's still talking about the impure use of the body. God has given them over to it. The women exchange natural relations with men for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. What was man's foundational sin? The exchange of the worship of God for false worship. And what is the result? A different kind of exchange from God to man. The exchange of what is natural for what is unnatural. God has removed restraint so that men and women are given over to their unnatural homosexual desires. 
And so what the world is currently telling us is human advancement, progress, is in actuality God's judgment. And so the parade downtown a few weeks ago, it was not an occasion for celebration. It was an occasion for fear and lament. It represented humanity completely unhinged from the worship of God and given over to His judgment. In the same way, Paul says in verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. What this means is that since man chose to give no place in his thoughts to God, he's abandoned any thoughts of God whatsoever. He will not acknowledge Him. He will not worship Him. He has no place in his mind for God. Therefore, God has given him over to the fullness and fruit of thought that is devoid of God. You want to have no thoughts of me? Have at it. You will have no thoughts of me and see where that goes. And so we are experiencing in some measure what Genesis 6-5 says just before the flood of judgment came in the days of Noah that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So man who has abandoned thoughts of God is abandoned to his thoughts without God and that is the judgment of God. What does that look like? What does it look like when God has given man over to a debased mind? And we see that in the catalog of sins in verses 29 to 31. Look with me again at them. Some of those are surprising. What does it look like when man who has no thoughts of God anymore, he chooses not to think of him, acknowledge him, care about him, get direction from him. What does it look like when he has no thoughts of God? This is what Paul says. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Is that present in our world? I don't think human beings are content to just say that they don't believe in God. They're angry. They're angry. They hate Him and any thought of Him. They're haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. There is no end to the evil that the human heart will come up with. We should never be surprised at the new inventions that are made in mankind toward evil. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. What does it look like? It looks like a culture that is hell-bent on evil 
and loving it. And the final nail in the coffin is there in verse 32 that they don't just do the evil themselves, they persuade others to join them in it. They create a culture that celebrates sin. And so I ask you this morning, in the heat and in the tiredness that some might be experiencing right now, is this a fair representation of the culture that we live in? Is this a fair representation? Because apparently it was a fair representation of Paul's culture too, and it is a pretty dire picture. You and I are awaiting the return of the Lord Jesus and the fullness of God's judgment, but we are witnesses right now to a preamble of it as men and women are given over to be consumed by their sin. And if you were to ask just me, apart from anything I know in Scripture, or maybe that's not fair enough, I would look out on all of this and say that it is almost hopeless. And apart from God's grace, man is hopeless. And so what we're watching cannot be solved by gun laws, pro-life laws, better education. It cannot be solved by good economic policy. And we want all of those things, right? We want positive, God-honoring changes to be made by our political leaders, servants of all kinds out there in the culture. But without God's grace to show man his need for forgiveness for sin, human beings will do what? They will just continue to spiral downward to greater godlessness. And so there is a need to lament the current culture. There is a need for us to lament that. There's a need also, brothers and sisters, for us to lament the current state of the church, which in many respects has been invaded by godless influences from the culture around us. Just like ancient Israel was influenced by the Canaanites, it has infiltrated our midst and our thinking. Our homes smell too much like the world. So we need repentance in our churches too. We are far too ineffective, would you admit, at being salt and light out there in the world. Why? because we have unwittingly, or maybe somewhat wittingly, become like the world. Living for something other than the worship of God is our highest priority. And so this morning I'm asking you to allow the Word of God to lead you back to glorifying God. The church My aim is not to fire up the culture warriors. I know some of that may be in our midst. That is not my concern. It's not to get a bunch of amens. My aim is to call each and every one of you myself to ensure that your life is aimed at the worship of God. And when you wake up in the morning, that that is your first and highest priority. 
that you want to serve him, obey him, love him, glorify him, give thanks to him. Is that what you live for? And the challenge that I need to have on my heart every day is, is that what I'm living for? Is that what is steering my life? Is that what is guiding my daily decisions? Or is it something else? This is what you've been made for. This is what you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus for. Not to live the American dream. Not to be prosperous. Not to have more stuff. Or to be healthy or wealthy. That's not why Christ bought you. It's for this. So that you would not suppress the truth, but give yourselves fully over to the truth that you have been made to worship God. He is beautiful. He is satisfying. And does your heart not convict you from time to time that you don't think like that? That you're persuaded to live like they do? Well, this is a call to return to the worship of God. So if you are here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, God is dealing patiently with you today. Repent. That's just good old preaching words. Repent. Turn from sin. When you see it, ask God for mercy. He freely gives it. He is a gracious and kind God. He's patient. Repent. And return to the glorying of God. And if you've come here today and you are outside of Christ, I've been hoping that you would and praying that you would hear This text of Scripture is meant to lead you to see the judgment of God, that it is very real. It's made you to see your sin, to understand that you have been suppressing the truth, and to lead you to a desire to repent of sin. And maybe you see something of yourself in all of this, please know that God is patiently dealing with you as well. The final judgment is not here yet, but it is coming. And so as you sit in this place hearing these words, know that repentance is available to you. Jesus Christ is offered to you. Forgiveness through Him is available to you. It will not always be so. But today it is. He died for men and women like you to buy you out of the sin-slave market to restore you to a sound mind and the worship of God. And so if that is you, if that describes you, will you trust in Him today? Embrace the truth that God is full of mercy to those who ask Him of it. So in conclusion, brothers and sisters, the mercy of God changes hearts to give worship to God.
And guess what happens? As God changes many hearts, He changes a culture. So I hope in the coming days that we will be witnesses to a revival in our community and across our nation. That's what it's going to take. Revival. And God is able. He alone can uphold, direct, arrange, and govern the events in this world to make revival possible. Let's ask Him for it. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that revival would take place first in the midst of God's people here. And that any place where we see worldliness, idol worship, God lead us to repent and look to our Savior Jesus who died for that sin and find you kind and merciful to forgive. And we pray, Heavenly Father, for the culture that we live in that has been given over to a judgment to be consumed by their sin. We ask, God, that you would spark in our community, that it would start even here in South Buffalo, God, that you would so smile as you look down, turning sinners from destructive behavior to a knowledge of you, restore people to a sound mind as they see the beauty of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, please do it in our midst. We beg of you. There is no other thing that can change the culture. We can pound our fists. We can get angry. We can be frustrated. It changes nothing if our God does not move. And so, God, we ask you to move powerfully. We pray, God, for those that we love, that are given over to the culture. We ask, God, that they would see that they have been made for a higher purpose, a purpose for loving and knowing you. God, please give them a knowledge of you. And may we, Lord, do all the praying constantly that is necessary until we see the day when they know you. May this be our chief purpose at Kaz Church to worship our God. And may we conclude our service this morning with rightful worship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand to your feet. Let's sing together.